I just want to jump right in this morning. Open your Bibles to Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel chapter 47, and we're going to start off and we'll read 12 verses of Scripture. I'm going to give you some context, and we're going to go for it. I've got a lot to cover and a little bit of time this morning, but <coughs> Ezekiel 47, verse 1, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would let none of me come out in all of you this morning. Holy Spirit, come and strengthen my breathing this morning. It's cutting up on me. So Holy Spirit, just come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the front of the temple faced east, and the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. And he brought me by way of the north gate, and he led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out of the right side. And when the man went out to the east with a line in his hand, he measured out 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through waters. The waters came up to my ankles. Just to give you a little context, 1,000 cubits is the equivalent of five football fields. So think of five. That's how far he's measuring out at this point. Come to his ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters, and they came up to my knees. Again, another 1,000 came up to my waist, and again, he measured another 1,000. And it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep, in, one in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And he brought me on the river and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned there along the bank of the river were many, very many trees on one side and the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to the valley. And it enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, whether the rivers go, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there for they will be healed. And everything will live wherever the river goes. I'm not going to read through all of it. Well, why not? Let's go. Sure, it's just fun. Verse 10. And it shall be that fishermen will stand by it from the Engedi to the Eglam, and there will be places for spreading their nets, their fish, with the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, especially exceedingly many. But its swamps and its marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. And along the bank, on this side and on that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be food and their leaves for medicine. That's a whole lot to get in there. And so I'm going to try and dive into it as fast as we can. The title of my message this morning is, Are You Ready for More? Are you ready for more? And... I, I love services where the Holy Spirit shows up and it's like a slobber knocker and like everybody's laid out everywhere. I love those. But I, as I've gotten older, I have learned to appreciate that there are times 
when I believe while the Holy Spirit can do that and will do that in every service, I believe us charismatic, spirit-filled folk sometimes think that because he did that on Sunday, I'm good on Tuesday. So there are times that I've been in service, and I'm probably going to do it this morning too. I'm not sure yet. I'm letting the Holy Spirit kind of decide. But there are times that I have preached a message like this that where people are like, we want to just get hands laid on us. And I'm like, get in devotion life tomorrow morning. Because I would never want someone to think that the power of God is attached to somebody laying their hands on them. There is a power of God attached by laying their hands on you, but it's not the only one. And the greatest, single-handedly, the greatest experiences I have ever had with the Father have been by myself with me and him alone. I've had some great ones in services. I've had some private ones in services. But they, they don't even begin to scratch the surface of when he meets me by myself, whether it's in my truck or on my patio or on my living room floor or when I was 16 and I was praying at 11 o'clock at night. I used to have to move. I had those tower speakers. Y'all remember them old tower speakers? And I had those, and I had them wired into my radio, and I would turn them, and everybody was sleeping, and I would bring them close right by my head. And I'd had the volume on like two so nobody could hear it, but it was loud enough in my ears. And I would just pray till midnight, sometimes two hours a night, and he would meet me every single I'd be weeping. I wouldn't even know why because I would just go to Jesus. And so this morning, I don't want you to look at this message in the context of what's God going to do this morning. I want you to look at this message from the perspective of what's God going to do in me. Because I'm not interested in great services. I'm interested in the kingdom being advanced. Amen? Now, the first thing we see, got to walk through some of it. The first thing we see is Ezekiel is brought back to the door of the temple, and there's water flowing out from under the door. Now, we know that the water oftentimes is referenced as the presence of God, the spirit of God. When Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger is the word. Thirst is his presence. It's water. It's liquid. It's soothing. When I'm having a bad day and I'm stressed out and my, you know, my anxiety's up or whatever, I'm angry, I go get in his presence. And that water washes over me and it soothes me. It calms me down. And so it says here that the water was flowing from under the door. Emphasis on the door. Who's the door? John 10. Jesus says, I am the door. You're never, ever going to have access into the presence of God until you first go through the door of the Son of God. There's a lot of people who come to church and they experience the emotional euphoria that comes from being in a room full of other people who are emotionally going after it. And they are confused by the fact that they think they're being touched by the presence of God. They're not. You're caught in an emotional experience. And sadly, we've allowed emotional experiences to be the measuring stick by if God moved or not. When that's not the case. God moves, there's fruit. Emotional experiences happens, there's just sweat. And there's tears. But when the Holy Spirit moves, when there's a move of God, I walk away different, and I still look different 72 hours later. That's the difference. And so you got to understand, none of what we're about to get into happens if you first have not walked through the door. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, none of this message applies to you yet. We can fix that really easily. But you understand that, that what we're talking about today, this is not a message for somebody who does not know the Lord yet because you, this doesn't make any sense to you. So as, as you see, he, he takes him out of the door, walks him around, and the water's flowing off from under the door. <coughs> and he starts measuring off distances. He's measuring off distances. And, and the first one, five football fields out, and he gets there, and it's ankle deep. Somebody say ankle deep. All right. Y'all been in the beach, right? Y'all been in ankle-deep water? 
You know who plays in ankle-deep water? Children. You know what looks really silly? When adults are playing in ankle-deep water. Like when my little boy runs around and he's in the water and he's kicking it, that's cute. If you see me and Jared just like kicking each other in ankle-deep water, that's going to be the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. And you make fun of us and post us on your social media and all your friends will make fun of us. That's what would happen. Ankle-deep water, and this is the progress. Once we meet Jesus, he's constantly wanting to take us deeper. He's constantly wanting to bring us further into him. But he doesn't take us and throw us in the deep end. He leads us, and this chapter, I believe, references and shows us this situation. Now, last thing before we really dive into this, it's five football fields. Now, I'm slow, so when I go on one football field, it takes me a minute to cross it, run 100 yards. None of us are going to run 500 yards quickly, right? Christianity is a process. Growth and maturity in Christ is a process. So we have to accept, number one, that it's going to take me a minute to move from ankle deep to knee deep to waist deep to swimming, right? It's going to take me a minute. You know what else we got to remember? It's going to take the person next to you a minute too. And when you're knee deep and they're ankle deep, you can't judge them because they're not knee deep yet because, trust me, Brother Manuel is, is swimming, and if he, thank God he didn't judge me when I wasn't. Thank God Miss Denise didn't judge me when I was kicking around ankle deep water and running around in knee deep water. She's just, no, I promise the water's better. Keep coming. The water's better. Keep coming. So he walks off ankle-deep water, and, and what happens at ankle-deep water? See, on the beach, on the beach, you're in total control. You're still in the world on the beach. You get in ankle-deep water, and now you're feeling the difference. You know how when you go to the beach and you go see, you ever do that thing where, like, you don't know if the water's cold or not? So you, like, run up, and you're like, <laughs> and you touch it, and it's real cold, and your whole body gets cold even though it's 1,000 degrees outside, Right? The moment that you you accept and experience who Jesus is, you understand that it is absolutely nothing like you were just experiencing. It's nothing like it. When you step into that water on the beach immediately, you know instantaneously that whatever I just did is totally different than where I was. But the problem is, is that in ankle deep water, you're completely in charge. You can run around. You can kick. You can come out as fast as you want. And a lot of people, they, they meet Jesus, they encounter Jesus, but they use him as a fix when they just get too hot on the beach. They just go running and kick some water around for a minute. And they're in total control. Also, when you're in ankle-deep water, it's really easy for me to get your attention and get you back on the beach. When people first come to Jesus, that's why it's so important that this ministry and all churches in general, that, that we're not clickish. Because when people first come to Jesus, they need to be a part of a group of people that are going to pull them deeper. Because the ones they just left in the world are yelling real loud to get them back. They're yelling, wait, come on over here, look at over here. No, no, I got to go this way. Why? That's weird. Come this way. And people with them saying, no, I promise you, knee deep is great. Keep coming. But ankle deep water is simply <coughs> the very beginning. You're still in total control and you can still have all kind of stuff in your hands. For real, like all kind of stuff in your hands. You can have a radio, you can have a chair, you can have all kind of different stuff, umbrellas, all kind of different things. But then you keep moving. Five foot, it's a process. It's five football fields. Then you get to knee-deep water. Knee-deep water is fun because knee-deep water is when you're, you're still in the most, like you still have pretty much control, but every now and then you get snuck by a wave. 
And like you think you're in charge until it, the water goes from like here to here, right? Boom, and it goes right back down. See, knee-deep water is as I've decided, no, I'm not going back to the beach. I'm going this way. As I begin pursuing Jesus, knee-deep is the first place that I realize that I'm not going to be in control much longer. It's the first place that we realize that there's a current to this thing. There's a force to see it. When you're ankle deep, you don't feel any of that. You just notice, oh, it's cool, yay. The knee-deep water is when you first begin to realize there's a driving force behind it. You get, you're still in charge, but it takes a lot for you to move and do what you want to do because the current begins to pull you. Now, you can still have all the stuff in your hands. This is the people who have progressed a little further. <coughs> and they've experienced how good God is with the ankle deep water and they want to keep moving. However, I don't know very many people who stay in knee deep water. Because knee deep water is just annoying. The reason why it's annoying is you're not all the way wet yet. You can't really walk well. That's usually the spot where there's the first, right before the first drop off. So, like, it's you're uneven and it just looks spastic and nobody just stays in knee deep water. You only are in knee deep water on your way deeper or on your way shallow. That's it. The problem is the enemy loves to keep you in knee deep water. Why? Because he knows you won't stay there. And if he can stop your progress from going deeper, knee deep, he knows the matter of time before you turn around. But knee deep water, we still can have stuff in our hands. Not as much, right? We can't bring as much from the beach with us in knee deep water, but we still can. You walk five football fields in knee-deep water, it's a progress. I mean, it's a process. There's things that have to happen. We're learning things. We're, we're now learning how to read our Bibles on our own. We're learning how to pray on our own. We're learning how to hear from God on our own. We're learning what it means. We've probably made our first stand to family or our first stand in the workplace. or our, we're, 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 we're having some real Christian experience on our own, not just running around, kicking water around. But then we get to my, my favorite one to talk about, which is waist-deep water. Now, if you go to the beach with me, waist-deep water is my, it's, I could sit in waist-deep water all day long. You know why? Because in waist-deep water, you can't bring a whole lot. But see, where's my little cup? My little coffee cup right there, my little Yeti. Whew. I fill that Yeti up with water or Dr. Pepper, depending on how dehydrated I am. And I'll go, I will go to knee-deep water all day long. I mean, waist-deep water all day long. You know why? And I'm a little short for this pulpit, but I'm going to have to try it. Because, see, this is where maturity in Christ is required now. Because, see, when you're in waist-deep water, you got to learn how to move with the current or move against it. you got to learn how to, how to navigate this process because it's starting to push you. And so in, in, in waist-deep water, though, is where we, the maturity in Christ starts to really show we're no longer it's not just okay for me to read my bible on my own it's not just okay then now that i'll get in the presence of god on my own and and, and I'm, I'm on the usher team and and I, i'm faithful now i gotta start acting differently i gotta start leading i gotta start realizing that christianity is not about me it's about the people that are on the beach or an ankle deep water or a knee deep water they're coming to me but see the problem is that excuse my little cup here Praise God. The problem is in, you know what, I'm going to use this stool because I'm not tall enough to use that pulpit. So this stool is waist deep, right? It's the water, waist deep. You want to know why I like waist deep water? Because I can do this on the beach. 
Look how deep I am now. I still got my little cup in my hand. You all think I'm up in shoulder deep water. So what happens, this is what happens in waist deep water. It exposes our immaturity. Because, see, at the Saints game party after church, we still got the drink in our hand. We still can party. Oh, it's life group. Oh, man, the presence of God was so thick in my devotion this morning. Oh, Brother Nick. Mmm, boy, it was good. Mmm. Boss chews us out because we mislabeled a report. All of a sudden, we standing up again. Full of the flesh. But it's, it's life group this week. And I'm running in late, and I walk in just like this, but I just, whoom. hey, Amanda, I'm blessed. How are you? See, I look so spiritual. I look so deep in God right now because I'm swimming, man. I'm in shoulder-deep water. No, you're not. You're a hypocrite. You're faking it. You're, 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 you're projecting maturity. But you want to know the interesting thing about maturity? Mature people can spot fake maturity. Mature people can go, mm. And as a leader, I have now learned that I would rather deal with ten immature people than one person faking maturity. Because, see, when it's an immature person, I could say, hey, we, we, don't, we don't do that. You know, we, we don't do that. Okay, a person faking maturity, we don't do that. Well, I didn't actually do that. You know, I was, I was, I was out doing this, and then this happened, and then that happened, and then da, 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 da. No, 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 no. You were, you're trying to give the impression that you're further along in Jesus than you are. You're more surrendered than you actually are to impress people because you still haven't grown to the fact that this isn't about you, that this isn't about me. One of, the, one of the classic signs, like the most classic signs of somebody who's stuck in waist-deep water is they're easily offended. Easily offended people live in waist-deep water. Why? Because that flesh rises up so quick, and they can be, they could be in the spirit, all up in church. And in the moment that somebody doesn't sit next to them or doesn't say hello or doesn't ask them if they want extra chicken wings at the, the kickoff party, whatever it is, they get all bent out of shape, and they look like a gymnast trying to do all kind of flips, and they get all crazy, and they get all upset and aggravated when the bottom line is, is that you're just not mature yet. But you want everybody to think you are. And if we don't be careful, if we're not cautious, if we're not aware, you will get genuinely offended. But the problem is you won't get genuinely offended by somebody in knee-deep water. You're not trying to impress them. You don't care about them. You'll get offended by somebody who's swimming because they know that the water ain't that deep right there. It's, it's not that deep right there. you got to keep coming. I was 15 years old, I think I was 15, somewhere around there, 15 or 16, and we'd gone through some changes on the worship team, and, and this is right before I started playing piano, so I was 16, and I was the drummer, and I was leading worship for youth, the youth group had this big worship team, and we were doing great, <coughs> and I don't remember exactly how it happened, but a string of different situations happened, and I got really bothered. I got just really frustrated 
really upset with the youth pastors, and then, and, then, and then we lost the youth pastor through situations, and then we didn't have one for a while. And so I'm doing all this work, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm doing all this work, but I'm doing it so that Pastor Carl will notice me, and, so, and this person will notice me, and that person will notice me. I'm not doing it for the kingdom. I'm not doing it for the 12-year-old that just walked in whose mama OD'd last night, and they brought her back with Narcan. I'm not doing it for her. I'm doing it because I want someone to notice how spiritual and how anointed I am. And I'm, so that's what I'm doing. And, and Brother Carl has to pull me in his office one day. And that was never something that you necessarily wanted to have happen, to be pulled in his office. But I don't know if you've experienced this, because I, I, I don't know if this still, this, I don't even know if this still happens, because he's, he, he's, he's gotten a little wiser in his older age, and I think he's also gotten a little softer in his older age. Just going to be honest with you. There was a, there was a, he brings me in his office, and he sits me down, and he says, I want to talk to you. I'm like, that's kind of what I figured, you know, well, I'm sitting in your office. And he says, I've been praying for a while. There's, there, there's a problem on the worship team. The presence of God is not moving like it should. And the Holy Spirit told me there's a pride problem on the worship team. And I immediately knew who it was. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> and I went to say, man, you know, I was in prayer the other day. And he said, no, you weren't. And I said, what? He said, no, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't have been. And he stands up from behind his desk. That desk with the bookshelf behind it, I mean, the, the thing behind it, whatever. He stands up and he leans over and he says, you're the problem. It's you. He said, I don't even know if your head can fit in the drum cage. And he said, the past three Sundays, I've almost walked on the stage and pulled you out during the song set and made them play without a drummer. He said, that's how impactful what you're doing where you're at is impacting the worship team. He said, you got a month to get it right or you're out. He said, I love you. Get out. <laughs> I had to decide. Was I going to keep kneeling and waste deep water or was I going to actually move further? I'm going to give you a hint. A little tip. God is more concerned about your progress than your comfort. And about the purpose he put in you. And about the calling and gifting he put in you. Do yourself a favor and progress on your own. Don't make somebody like me come around and have to yank you up out of waist deep water and show you that you're faking. Please don't make that be the case. How do you know that there's the, the, the problem? Is, the problem is that when I'm more concerned about impressing everybody around me or getting loved by everybody around me or getting, getting, getting what I need from people, I want to give you this, this hint, right? It is not about you. It's not. There are people that you know right now that need Jesus so desperately, so desperately, but the reason they're not able to see Jesus is because when they get around you, they can't see Jesus because Jesus isn't offended, but you are. And so we wonder, man, they just won't come to church. Why? Why don't they? It's amazing. It's awesome. When they, well, apparently what they're seeing in you doesn't make them want to come. We don't want to have that conversation. We don't want to talk about that because that's because that's mean. That's because that's harsh. No, it's truth. Ain't nothing pretty and comfortable and nice about the cross, yet we live in this, this euphoric illusion that Christianity is supposed to be tiptoeing through the tulips. It's not the case. 
And you'll also notice that as you progress further and you go deeper into him, you know, when you're on the beach and you're in the ankle deep, there's all kind of people. Like they're everywhere. Knee deep water, there's some more people. You get to waist deep, maybe there's people playing football. When you go further, you'll find out there are very few people who actually want to go that far. There's very few. The longer that I've been in ministry, I did youth ministry 10 years. <coughs> After about the first six, I realized that very few wanted to go as far as I wanted to go to do what I wanted to do. And they would ask, Pastor Chris, how do you, what are you doing? Well, I'm praying X amount of day. I'm fasting X amount. I'm, 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 I don't have a social life. I don't have a hobby. I'm going after Jesus, and I'm getting as many people as I can to follow me. It got to the point recently that I don't make social plans anymore. None. Zero. Like, I don't like, hey, you want to go bowling? I don't do that. Because I've learned that when Pastor Chris makes a social event, everyone in church is offended if they don't get invited. The whole, the whole church. Y'all, Shelmite got 180 adults. We taken over the whole bowling alley. We shutting down every restaurant. If everybody, so I just stopped because I got tired of people getting offended. So if you ever see me in public, those are not my plans. I'm serious. I had, I, my birthday was, was in June and I had, People say, what do you do for your birthday? I'm like, I ain't doing nothing. They're like, what? I'm like, I'm sitting on thing in a stand. I'm not doing anything. What do you mean? I'm like, if y'all want to do something of our day, you can figure it out. I'm not doing nothing. Sure, I'd like to eat a steak, but I can get a steak at the grocery store and go home throwing it in a pit, and I ain't going to offend nobody. Because to me, I would rather have a church full of people who love Jesus than a church that's offended every time the pastor goes to the movies. But I can't tell you that it's not about you i have to show you that it's not about you by letting you realize it's not about me why because i'm going deeper i'm going deeper and you, you ever seen people when they're when they're out deeper don't you have this tendency just to watch them right you get you get that dude that's trying to surf in gulf shores which i think is a little silly to be honest like he's trying to surf in gulf shores like bro <laughs> it's like a five-inch wake right there like I don't know what you're going for buddy but I just I just watch like wow he he's he's pretty far but then you you move a little further and at this point you have to come to the spot where it's not about you anymore and you walk right off that last little ledge that sandbar boom now you are in control of nothing that water is taking you where it wants to take you if you read through Ezekiel 47, it says it's flowing out, it's flowing to the east, and it says it flows to the sea. You know what sea it flowed to? The Dead Sea. You got to understand something. Every place that God leads you is always to bring life to dead things. Always. Everything. You want to you know the fruit of your life? You want to do a check on the fruit of your life and how you are in your relationship with the Lord? Look and see how much life is being brought to dead things around you. If there's not a lot of life coming from dead things, then you should check and find out where you're at. Because he didn't get to the Dead Sea until he was five football fields in the swimming water. And then as you get in there, it talks about how 
There's trees on both sides, and they're bearing fruit every month. And there's fish, and they're able to fill their nets with fish. All this stuff is going on. All this stuff is happening, except there's one spot that doesn't have life, and it's the marshes. You know why? Because when the water goes in, it don't come back out. It gets stagnant. See, the moment that we stop advancing, but we don't go backwards, we get stagnant. And we end up in the marsh, and there's no life in the marsh. There's no flow in the marsh. Now, I'm one of the weird people who likes the smell of the marsh. Most people don't. But when there's a low tide on Parish Road, I'm like, I love it. Everybody's like, disgusting. (laughs) I I just love it. It smells like childhood to me. I love it. But there's no life in that area. Yet Jesus says, I've called to give you life and life more abundantly. So if I'm connected to him and he lives in me and he's reigning in me and he's the Lord of my life and he's who I want to please and who I want to worship and who I want to be like and who I want to talk like, then why in the world should that life not be flowing out of me? The problem is, is that we've become a marsh and the water flows to us, but it doesn't flow through us anymore. Because we've allowed ourselves to get in the way and get stagnant because Nick Fury didn't look at me right on church on Sunday. Or Brother Manuel didn't invite me fishing when everybody went fishing. I didn't get the invite. Man, shut up. People need Jesus. Who cares? I heard a youth pastor say the best line ever one time when I was a kid. He said, youth always get upset when everybody hangs out with everybody. He said, I want to give you two pieces of advice. Number one, if you don't have enough friends in youth group, go win some of your friends in the world, and they'll come to your church, and then they'll be your friends. You have your own group. I've watched someone do this. They came to youth because that's what happens, right? Teenagers are, are cliquish, and they, they get in their little groups. This one girl came to youth, and she didn't really fit in nowhere, and so she said, all right, and brought a whole row. She was bringing people to church in her trunk. I'm serious. They put them in the trunk. We didn't know this. This is back in the G12. We didn't know this. Had we known, we'd have, we'd have stopped it. We didn't know. Y'all know how, to, how to, the old cars used to have the little armrests that come down with the hole? She'd open the hole so they could breathe and talk and be part of the hangout. But she's putting seven, eight, nine people in a little bitty red car. Like, this girl, you're breaking so many laws. But she said, I'm not going to be bored. I'm not going to be an outcast. I'm going to just go get a whole group of people. The second thing he said was, we'll all hang out in heaven. All of us, all the time. But how much better would it be if all your friends were at that party? Go get them. That's what he used to always say. There are people out there who are dying and desperate. There are empty chairs in here. It's our job to live in such a way, to be directed by the Spirit in such a way that these chairs are full. Please give me the problem of not having enough parking. Please give me the problem of not having a big enough children's church, which we kind of already have that problem. But please give me the problem of Pastor Chris. We need to go to two services, but you already do two services. Please give me those problems. Why? Because that means we're flowing with him. That means he's in charge. He's determining where we go. He's determining what we say. He's determining all those different factors of our lives. So are you ready for more? The simple question is it's kind of rhetorical. 
Are you ready for more? The answer should always be yes if we know Jesus. But the question is, are you going to go get it? Are you going to go get it? Hebrews 4 says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. I can boldly walk into the presence of God anytime I need him. If I'm helping my time of need. And listen, I want, I want to say this. I'm going to be closing in a second. I want to say this. <coughs> you may be here and you may be saying, Pastor Chris, I've, I've done the knee deep, waist deep dance. Where I've been knee deep and then I walk waist deep. And then something happens and I end up back knee deep and then walk up and I'm back waist deep. Because that's where the current is. You ever been in a beach when the current's real strong and you're like you're trying to walk with it and, and but it's pulling you this way? That's that's the tug of war. Whenever I find myself being inconsistent, whenever I find myself struggling with progress or I'm, I'm taking one step forward and two steps back, it's because I'm struggling to let the current lead. I'm struggling to let the Holy Spirit lead. That's what's happening in that moment. It's not that you're failing. It's not that He's failing you. It's that you're struggling for who's in control. Just surrender. And say, I'm yours. In closing, I'm going to tell you a story. I was in Jamaica in 2013. And um, there was this, it was all-inclusive resort, prettiest water I've ever been, ever seen. <coughs> and I went, I forgot goggles, so I had to go buy a $45 pair of goggles that I could have bought a dollar general for like eight bucks. But I wanted to see under the water, so you, you got to pay for it. So I go out, and there was this little swimming area they had roped off where the boat traffic couldn't come in and there was this rock little ridge or whatever right there out, out right outside of the thing. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go see what's going on. So I go in a while, I start walking. Well, there's, there's shells on the ground. They were hurting my feet. But I noticed that every, every 50 or so yards, there would be a spot where there were no shells. I don't know, still don't know why. So I would just swim. So I, I got in the water and I swam. And I get to this little reef, and I start looking. And when I get over there, y'all, it was like I swam up to find a Nemo. Like the most beautiful fish you'd ever seen, all different colors. I'm like, God, you had fun with this crew. Like you just like shook up a jar and just threw colors. Like I don't know. Like it's amazing. And they come in out of the rocks, and there's so many of them. And then you're in their house, so they don't know you're there. And so like you're looking at like it hits you in the head. And it was just great. It was awesome. And so I'm like, well, I wonder what it's like on the other side of the rock. So I swim to the other, and there's fish there too. But then I look out, and there's the shells again. There's another spot without shells. So I'm like, I'm going to swim. So I start swimming. And I get out another about another 50, 45, 50 yards. I can swim out. And I look down, and, and I can still stand up. And there's some more rocks, and the fish, they're still vibrant everywhere. And I look out, and there's another one. And so I'm like, I'm going to go to that one, too. So I swim again. Except I get out to this one this time, and I can't touch the ground. And I realize that all the cute small fish are gone. And the fish are getting bigger. No shark. They're getting bigger. But I'm like, I got one more in me. So I swim again. Y'all, I get out there. And I come up from the top, and a, from me to the wall, a boat goes <laughs> flying by. I turn around. Y'all, I am so far from the beach. 
because I wasn't watching where I was going on top of the water. I was so focused on where I was under the water, right? And I realized in this moment that I am absolutely not in control, and I don't belong in this spot on my own. A guy sees me on a little Hobie sailboat, and he comes over to me, and he said, you were chasing a fish, huh? I said, yes, sir, I was. He said, get on, puts me on his boat, he brings me back in. I tell you this story to let you know that the further you go into the Lord, into God, the more you need him. Because you don't belong there on your own. You're not going to be able to handle where he's taking you without him. So many people have the desire to project spirituality and anointing and authority. But we end up like the seven sons of Sceva. The first time we run into an actual spiritual conflict, the demon beats us up and sends us outside bruised and naked. Because we're faking it. I want you guys to understand something. It's supposed to take time. It's supposed to be a process. I didn't get to where I am because I woke up last week and thought about doing it. I got to where I am because 15, 20 years ago I decided I'm going to pursue Jesus with everything I have. And it doesn't matter where I end up. Because once you get in water, you can't stand up and you can't walk in anymore. You don't get to determine what happens anyway. He just takes you where he wants you to go. So my question for you this morning is two questions. Number one is, are you ready for more? And the second question is, what are you going to do to get it? Because I'm not praying for you today. This would be the perfect setting to have a great altar call.